Acts chapter number 12. I want to preach to you a third part in our series on prayer meetings that we've been studying. We've gone through the book of Acts and we have studied instances of prayer meetings. Not just personal prayer, although personal prayer is quite important. Uh, If you don't have a prayer life, you're not going to have a powerful life. And you'll find that the only time that uh, uh, that the word prayer is found before or after power is in the dictionary. Amen. It's the only place where you're going to find it. I think it's vital that we get the importance of prayer in our lives. Leonard Ravenhill once said that no man is greater than his prayer life. And I think it's important that we have prayer in our lives. But we're not talking about our personal prayer. That's important. We're not talking about prayer over food, although I believe we ought to bless our food. Uh, We're not talking about uh, just praying in a public setting, although I understand there's times when it's appropriate. We're not talking just about praying over an offering. We're not just talking about praying before a sermon. But we're talking about what we might call corporate prayer. You say, what is corporate prayer? That sounds stuffy. That sounds organized. Well, it ain't stuffy, but it is organized. It's when God's people come together for the purpose of prayer. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'll be the first to confess that though we do pray, and though we do have prayer requests, that as it is in most churches, ours is somewhat of a preaching meeting and a time of examining the Word of God. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. But I believe one of the downsides of that transition has been this. The church has left off the practice of coming together solely for the purpose of prayer. And you'll find as you study in the book of Acts that corporate prayer and prayer meetings were a part of the life of the New Testament church. In fact, we'll find at the birth of the New Testament church that though prayer was not the means of that birth, the divine will of God was the means of the birth of the church. You'll find that prayer was all over the day of Pentecost. You'll find that they were praying before Pentecost. You'll find praying after Pentecost. And you'll find that the birth of the New Testament church was bathed in prayer meeting. You'll find in the book of Acts, chapter 4, where we've already studied last week, You'll find a time when uh, Peter and John had been cast into prison because they had raised up a lame man and caused him to walk. And you'll find that they uh, knew they couldn't hold him in prison because the power of God had been too manifest in their lives. And so they released them. And the first thing the church did was met together and began to pray and thank the Lord and ask for His strength. And you'll find when they did that God shook the place. God honored that prayer meeting. I believe God still honors prayer meetings in the church. And I believe God still hears and answers the prayers of His people. In fact, we could take a few moments, I'm not going to for brevity's sake, but we could take a few moments and go around the room and we'd find instance after instance after instance where God has answered a particular prayer in someone's life. I've seen it too much to tell me that prayer does not work. But we come to Acts chapter 12, and if I could give a general characterization of the prayer meeting that takes place in Acts chapter 12, I'd call this the quintessential prayer meeting. 
Because you see, it presents to us a time when the church, faced with problems, gathers together in the house of one of their members. Of course, at this time, they did not have public dedicated buildings that they met in, but they met in houses and homes. And they gathered together for the express purpose of praying over this need to come together as Christians and to seek help at the throne of God. It's not a spontaneous prayer meeting. It's a planned prayer meeting. It's not a prayer meeting just for praise, although that's good, but it's a prayer meeting concerning problems. And it's not just a prayer meeting where vague and general prayers are given to God, but it is a particular prayer meeting that's brought together for a particular cause. Read with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church Unto God for him. Let me read that again. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of their of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews." And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirming that it was even so, then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. I want to read verse number 5, and I want to read uh, down where Peter comes upon them and finds them praying in verse 12. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 12, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together 
praying. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word. Use it in a mighty way in our hearts. God, I'd pray that my heart would be convicted, that I'd be stirred by your word, that the hearts of your people would be treated much the same. God, that we would be brought into a closer walk with you. Father, help our prayer life. Without prayer, we're powerless. God, help our prayer life. Help and teach us to pray. Help us to make it a priority. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their lost state. Draw them back unto yourself, Lord. Show them their need of Calvary. Father, I pray they'd come to know your Son as Savior. We love you, Lord, tonight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Most of you have heard this story in Acts chapter number 12 before. Most of you have probably read it in your devotional time. But tonight I want us to focus on this thought, praying for problems. We find that the New Testament church came together, and it was not just a regular meeting. They didn't just come together to have preaching. They didn't just come together to give honor and praise to the Lord. Both of those things are quite worthy, and I believe they deserve our utmost attention. But in this instance, we find that the church was faced with a problem, and they came to the Lord in prayer. Can I tell you that the sooner you learn to do that in your life, the better off you'll be. We've heard it said before, when nothing else works, try prayer. I'd say, whoa, just a minute there. Let me switch it around and say, before you try anything else, go to the prayer closet and seek the face of God. We find that prayer is the means of shaking the foundations of this world. We find that prayer is the means of opening prison bars. We find that prayer is the means of raising up those that are ill. We find prayer is the means of drawing someone on to salvation. We find that prayer is the most powerful and unused resource of the New Testament church today. We find that the early New Testament church, that when they saw a problem, when they saw a need, they, uh, they faced it and they tackled it in prayer. I believe our churches would be more powerful if we get back to this practice. Can I just be honest with you tonight? I believe we'd see more souls saved if we get back to this practice. I believe we'd see more unity in the church today if we get back to this practice. You know, it's hard to be mad at someone you're praying for. I believe we'd see more passion out of Christians today if we get back to this process. You know, it's hard to pray and ask God for something every day and not be passionate about it. It's hard to pray and ask God to move in your life and not be serious about it and do it every day. I believe it'd make us closer Christians. I believe it'd make us stronger Christians. I believe it'd make us more open Christians. I believe if the church could get back to prayer as the main means of getting God's work done, I believe we'd see revival in our lives and in our midst. We find in this passage three things I want to give you tonight. I want you to look in verse number one, and I want you to notice with me the persecuted situation that the church was in. We don't really know persecution, but listen to what the church, sorry, the, the Word of God says that the church faced. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain, now notice this phrase, of the church. Now this was not a general persecution. This wasn't a persecution against every religion. Can I say that we live in a day when it's not every religion that's persecuted, but it's biblical Christianity that's persecuted. It went so far in verse 2 that it says, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Let me say first off that we see that their faith was persecuted. I don't know if you realize this today, friend, but there's an all-out war against Christianity in this world and particularly in this country that we live in. 
We, we look around and, you know, we've become rather callous. And, and really, I'm just going to be honest with you, we've become rather worldly and apathetic. Because it ought to bother us the way that Christianity is targeted today. I, I went down to a high school graduation and it alarmed me. It alarmed me to look around and see. And by the way, it burdened me too. It didn't just alarm me, it burdened me. And let me explain why. To look around and see the numbers of Muslim families at that graduation in East Tennessee. Now you say, why did that bother you? Twofold, twofold. Number one, because they can express their faith and their belief with absolute impunity. And if a, if a young person comes in and tries to present Christianity and his faith in Jesus Christ, he's bombarded by the staff and by the school board. But let me give you a second reason. It burdened me because we need to reach those people. You know that? We need to reach them. And I, 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 I know that sometimes it's easy to look at them with such disdain. I'm being honest with you now. But they need Christ just like you needed Christ. And they, they're headed to the same devil's hell that you were headed to before you accepted Christ as your Savior. And it's so easy to look at those other religions and to grow disdainful. And listen, it, it's tough. They come over here, they kill our citizens, they live off our tax dollars, and they murder our citizens. And it's hard not to get disdainful. But you just remember, they just need a Savior. That's what they need. They need a Savior. But I was struck as I saw these families, and you'd see young people. I'm talking about 14, 15 years old. Young people in East Tennessee walking around, women with head coverings, men in turbans. It was a startling thing. And I thought to myself, if the average Christian was to walk around with such obvious expressions of their faith, they'd be berated to no degree. They'd be berated in such a way that they'd be kicked out of school, they'd be forced to stay at home, they'd be forced uh, to be punished for what they've gone through. There's a hatred of Christianity in this world that we live in today. I mean, that's just a blatant fact. Uh, you, you don't find anybody getting upset uh, about people, about Muslims coming over here and building mosques, but you find people getting upset about Christians going over and trying to reach them with the gospel. You don't find in this day that we live in, I mean, and, and I use Islam, I could go down the line, any other religion, it's just that's the other predominant one in our nation right now. But it doesn't matter what religion it is, you could go down the line and you'd find that there's a particular and special and vehement hatred for Christianity, doing everything they can to try to get Christianity out of this world that we live in. Our faith is persecuted today. Now, we may not be all that persecuted. I'm going to be honest with you. We're very blessed. We still have some liberty in this country to worship. But our faith is hated and our faith is persecuted. We find that the early New Testament church, that they didn't, Herod didn't just set his hand against any and all. And he didn't just set his hand against the religious crowd. But he set his hand against the church. I want you to notice the second thing. Not only was their faith persecuted, but I want you to notice that their flock was preacherless. Verse number 3 tells us, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. He took Peter and put Peter in prison, getting ready to put Peter to death for being a Christian. That had to be discouraging to this flock. I mean, I know, listen, I, I know it's a little bit different today. Probably if they carted me off, y'all would say, glory! <laughs> but but they probably liked Peter. He probably wasn't as, as aggravating as I am, you know. And, and I'm sure they loved Peter a lot. And I'm sure it pained them. To know that their man of God was in prison. 
I'm sure it pained them to be leaderless. Now, I know, I understand there were many elders in the church in that day. I understand that. I understand it wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just James. But Peter held a prominent role in the church. And I'm sure, just as it discourages a flock of believers when they see failure or when they see frustration in the man of God, I'm sure it terrified them and brought them fear when they saw the persecution that was being waged against Peter. I'm sure it was discouraging to be without their preacher. I'm sure they didn't know what to do to a degree. But I'm thankful they knew one thing to do and it got the job done. They got together and prayed. (laughs) Hey, we're preacherless, but can I tell you the church today? It's never, and I, I know I'm not an old man, I understand that, but I've talked to men that have a little little uh, bit more time on them and a few more gray hairs, and they tell me this, and I quote you one pastor that I know that's been in it 20 years. He said, never in 20 years have I seen so many empty pulpits. We live in a day where it seems like churches are preacherless. Oh, some of them have somebody that draws a check and gets up and flaps their gums a little bit every Sunday. But very few churches have someone that will stand with a backbone of iron and preach the Word of God and love their people and care for them and do the work of a pastor. We live in a day of hirelings. We live in a day full of people that are satisfied to get up and have their ego stroked. But if it comes time to take a stand and in love and in compassion rebuke someone and give them the truth of the Word of God and show them how much God loves them, we're living in a bankrupt day of those. Our flocks are preacherless. Our faith is persecuted. But I want you to notice a third thing that's said about this. I want you to notice that the Bible tells us that their flesh was powerless. Look at verse 4. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Don't you know they felt powerless? Don't you know they felt like there was nothing they could do? I mean, they could have got that little group of people together and they could have said, we're going to storm the prison and we're going to take old Peter with us. That wouldn't have gone over too well. (laughs) No more. By the way, if they ever arrest me, and and I'm thinking more and more there might be a chance they will, and if they ever arrest me, the last thing I want you all doing is storming down to the prison to try to take me out. I don't think I have to worry about that with any of you, but I promise you that's not what we need. Amen. Uh, they could have tried to do that. It, it would have been to no avail. They could have appealed unto political powers for the release of Peter, but it was political powers that put him in prison. They could have tried to take him out in the energy of their strength and their flesh. They could have gathered together every scrap of money that they had and tried to bribe officials, but their money would have been nothing compared to the political motivation of those in power. At the end of the day, there was nothing they could do. Let me just be honest with you. I believe there are some resources we have. I believe we ought to be responsible. I believe we ought to be good citizens in this world. I believe probably American citizens take for granted their liberties and also their voice more than any other people group in the world. We have more of a voice than we recognize. We say, well, I'm not going to do any good. No, maybe not you on your own, but if we'd all get together and start getting in touch with the people that we voted in, amen, and uh, start reaching them with our wishes and our demands, you'd find maybe it would make a little bit a difference. But can I say that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Washington's probably not going to stop and take notice of Wall Ridge Baptist Church. That's just the truth of it. I, I, I tell you that at the end of the day, the U.S. government is probably not going to call this preacher to ask his opinion on anything. I'd say even state and local government probably ain't going to take no notice of Wall Ridge Baptist Church. 
I still, you know, I got my, I got my cell phone, but I, you know, old, old Billy Haslam still ain't called me yet to ask me what I think about things. Probably they don't really care what I think. And it's easy to feel powerless sometime in this world that we live in. And you look at this world that we're in and you just wonder what could stem the tide of wickedness and ungodliness in this world. I just feel powerless. And in the energy of your flesh, you are powerless. You probably don't have enough money to buy them, enough guns uh, to bully them. You probably don't have enough clout to, to intimidate them in any way. But let me tell you something. You have access to the throne room of the Almighty God of heaven. And you have a place where you can take your petitions and your needs to. We find that they were uh, without any power. They couldn't do it on their own. And they were in a, in a persecuted situation. But I want you to notice that though they were in a persecuted situation, we see their powerful supplication that was made. I like what verse 5 says. Verse 5 lays out for us the, the dismal situation just in a few words. Look at it with me. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. Peter was in prison. They had no, no leader. There was nothing they could do about it. I like this, but prayer. <laughs> underline those two words if you underline in your Bible. Underline those two words, but prayer. In fact, there's a lot of things we could plug in on both ends of that verse. That, that little conjunction there, but prayer, would make a big difference. Let me give you an example, all right? Ralph had cancer and was getting in foul shape, but prayer was made. Laverne, after all them years as a track star, her, her, her hips started to give out on her and she's feeling awful. And you know, that's not, let me say that, 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 you know, hip replacement surgery like that and work, working on your leg, that ain't always 100%. You know that? A lot of times you come out of that worse than you went in. Laverne had to have both of them took care of. Man, that was dismal. But prayer was made. On and on we could go. We give you examples of people that had more month left and more bills left than they had paychecks, but prayer was made. People that had a lost loved one dying on their way to hell. I mean, neighbor as hard as a coffin nail, no interest in the Word of God, but prayer was made. We could show you situations where homes were hanging by a thread, but prayer was made. And on and on we could go, and we see the intervention of prayer. By the way, interceding prayer is intervening prayer. We find that the prayer life of the New Testament church made a marked difference in the circumstances and situations that were taking place. I want us to notice the answer that's given. We don't really, we're not privy to what took place in those prayer meetings. We don't hear any of the prayers of the people because, you know, I don't really think it's about how flowery their prayers were. And I don't think it's really about the fact that they just said the right things. I think the fact that they gathered together and prayed together was what made the difference. And so we have no record of their uh, individual prayers. We find, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And I want you to notice the answer that's given. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. I want you to notice a little phrase that's used in verse 6, and it's easy to skip over. And when Herod would have brought him forth. Now, we've already read the narrative. You know what happens. 
you know that the angel comes in, kind of kicks Peter and gets him up. And when he wakes up, the chains fall off of his hands. The angel leads him out of the prison and, and uh, through the first and the second ward and, and through the iron gate. And he comes out and he's in the middle of the street and he comes to himself and he says, Well, I guess God got me out of that mess. You, you've, you've read that with me. But what I want you to notice is, number one, that the answer that God gave them was punctual. When Herod would have brought him forth. I don't know how long yet that we're praying. I don't know when they met. We have no record. We don't really know how long that Peter had been in prison. Now, we, we assume it had probably only been a few days. If that, we, we do not know. But I know this, that God didn't answer that prayer the first moment that someone prayed. Wasn't time to yet. Let's just suppose it maybe went on for five days. I think that's maybe a fair thing to, to assume, and that is an assumption. Don't take it as anything more. But let's just assume that, that it went on five days. You know, I'm sure the first day the church was revved up and ready to go. I mean, I'm sure they met. I mean, they was ready for prayer meeting. They showed up. They had refreshments. They had their Bible. Uh, buddy, they had knee pads on. I mean, they was ready to pray. You know what I mean? And they began to pray and to weep and cry out to God. They probably began to confess their, their faults, one not their sins, but to confess their faults one to another. They maybe came to one another and started to get right and weep and pray. And boy, they had a good meeting. But Peter was still in prison. And so probably at the end, John or uh, maybe the other James had spoken up, uh, that he was sent to go tell James these things. I don't know, maybe one of the leaders of the New Testament church looked at the people and said, well, it's been a good meeting. But Peter's still in prison. There's still a need to be met. Let's meet back tomorrow night. And so they come back tomorrow night, and you know, they're, they're still revved up, ready to go. But about halfway through the night, they start to get a little weary. Maybe somebody walks in, somebody's asleep here, asleep there. But it's overall a good meeting. Third night comes because Peter's still in prison. And people come in and they're in a fair mood. <laughs> they're in a fair mood, you know. I mean, they're, you know, they're okay. They're not raring to go, but they come in and they're diligent and they do their duty and they, they pray and they talk to the Lord. Peter's still in prison. Fourth night comes along and maybe a few people laid out. And the ones that came in came in a little bit discouraged. It had been, it'd been three days already and Peter was still in prison. And they come in and they begin to gather together and they begin to pray. No fireworks go off and nothing spectacular happens. But they're duty bound to pray that boy out of prison. And so they keep praying. Fifth night comes along and they come together and maybe only a few show up. The rest of them have given up on it. That's about how it is in most Baptist churches. Amen. Uh, you look at the statistics with Gideon, about one percent is usually who you can count on. And, and maybe just only a few show up, just only a handful, maybe two or three. But where two or three are gathered together, that's all it takes. And they begin to pray. No fireworks go off. They begin to take turns maybe back and forth so they can sustain through the night. And they begin to pray. There's a little maiden girl named Rhoda that's, that's running around and she's tending to things and she's cleaning things up. And there they are gathered in Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And they're getting weary and they're getting discouraged and they're wondering where God's at and they're wondering when God is going to answer. And all of a sudden Rhoda hears... See, they know that Peter's getting ready to be executed the next day. He's getting down to the wire. They hear that. They hear that. And Rhoda goes out, opens the door. It's Peter standing there. 
And she says, oh, Peter. Oh, Peter, I can't believe God answered. I can't believe you're standing here. I can't believe. And she gets excited. And she takes, slams that door, runs back inside, leaves him standing out in the street. (laughs) And she goes inside. Can I say that their answer was not only punctual. It came when God intended it to come. Not a moment too soon. Not a moment too late. God in heaven knows how long you need to pray for something. A lot of times He's already answered it. You just ain't got your answer yet because it's not time yet. Let me say that their answer was powerful. Their answer could unlock the chains off of Peter's wrist. Their answer could allow him, or their prayer could allow him to go unseen through the first and the second ward. Probably those wards, that word can mean a lot of things. It it denotes either a person or a place. I, I believe it probably means both here. I believe it was probably like little guard nests, little guard shacks that were set out. People that were set watch to make sure that nobody got in to get Peter. One thing they weren't counting on, they was watching who was coming in. They weren't watching who was walking out. Amen. And Peter was able to walk unseen past those guards. Prayer did that. Prayer did that. Prayer broke the chains. Prayer opened the doors. Prayer opened the gate. Prayer led him by. Let me tell you something, neighbor. You may be praying for someone in your family. And you're wondering what's going to break the chains of sin in their life. Can I tell you, prayer can do it. Prayer can do it. Prayer can't make them be saved. Do you hear me? You can't try as you may. You're not going to pray anybody into heaven. They have to make that decision. But you know what prayer does? Prayer makes sin a sickening thing to their life. You know what prayer can do? Prayer can make Calvary a sweet, sweet image. Prayer can make, what is it that old Bill always says? It, Bill, Bill says that the, the, the sheet's short and the bed hard. Is that what he says? <laughs> Prayer can make the sinner uncomfortable. Prayer can make the circumstances unbefitting for him to stay in those situations. They're going to have to make that decision. You say, I don't believe it's scriptural to pray for people to get saved. Argue with the Apostle Paul then, brother, because he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. It's scriptural to pray for the salvation of others. It was prayer that did all those things. Prayer is a powerful thing. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You'd be amazed for all the complaining we do, how much we'd get done if that complaining was praying. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. You know what we do when we have a problem? The first thing we do is complain when the first thing we do ought to be to pray. And we'll go and we'll gripe and moan and complain to everybody in the world that can't fix it instead of praying to the only person out of this world that can fix it. It's that simple. Prayer is a powerful thing. But I want you to notice that the answer to their prayer was not only punctual and powerful, but notice it was particular. It's particular. You know why their answer was particular? Because their prayer was particular. They didn't just say, well, let's just have prayer meeting, just have a good time. I believe it's important. I like that Ralph's got the prayer list ready and raring to go for the prayer meeting. I think we ought to be praying for those needs. We're having a short time before we get started so we can share prayer requests so people have something to pray for. You know why most people don't pray very long? Because they're praying about nothing. That's why. They just they, they, they get on their face for Lord, oh Lord, I thank you so much, I love you so much. And after they thank the Lord for Calvary, for grace, and for the air that they breathe, they're done. They don't know anything to pray because they've not sat down and written down anything to pray. They have no idea what to pray about because they're not praying particularly. They're praying generally. General prayers get general answers. <laughs> But the New Testament church was praying particularly. They were praying for Peter. Prayer was made for him, verse 5 says. Prayer was made of the church without ceasing for him. Prayer was made over Peter. They were praying for Peter's release. So you know what the Lord did? He released Peter. I'll tell you, you have not because you ask not. 
or you ask it amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. We're not going to get everything that we want, but we're going to get everything that we need, but we need to ask for it. You say, why is God uh, such a stickler for prayer? Because prayer is the means of praise. We pray and we ask God to do something in our life, and He does it. That gives us the means to praise Him and give Him the honor and glory that's due His name. And I've given it to you a thousand times. Whenever we don't pray, we just hum along and hum a tune and act like, oh, that was just good fortune. But when we pray particular prayers, God answers particular uh, needs, and we praise God for particular victories. We find that their answer was punctual. Their answer was powerful. Their answer was particular But then we have an interesting thing that's spoken of. And we've looked for a few moments at their persecuted uh, situation. We've looked at their powerful supplication. But I want to say just a few words about their perplexed disorientation. So Peter comes to the door and he knocks on it. And and, uh, old Rhoda comes to the door and says, Oh, it's Peter. And she runs inside. And she begins to tell them that Peter is standing at the door. But I want you to notice first thing, and I believe it's worth saying, I believe it's worth saying for the sake of the New Testament church as well as an example to us. I want you to notice that there was a prayer meeting taking place. The church was meeting in prayer. The Bible says when he got there that many were gathered together praying. They hadn't stopped. They hadn't given up. I'm going to be honest with you, church, because I don't want you to have any kind of unrealistic expectations. When we meet on the 7th of June and when we pray and we seek God's face together as a church, it may be that according to the divine will of God, He'll visit us in a special way that night. It could be that He'll visit us in a special way on that Sunday. It could be we're going to have the best camp week that we've ever had. It could be that. And I wouldn't doubt it a bit, but what God may do that. But can I say sometimes it don't take just one time. Seeking the Lord's face. Sometimes it takes persistency. Uh, Sometimes it it may take three, four, five prayer meetings. There was a little uh, 15-year-old child prayed for 15 years for God to send, or for 12 years for God to send revival to Wales. And it took that long. But God swept that place in the Holy Ghost and in the spirit of revival in a way that shook the whole British Isle. It took years, though. Whenever Peter found them, they were together. They were still praying. You know when they prayed until? They prayed until God answered. They prayed until God answered. We're praying for all of these needs that will be mentioned, but we're praying for revival. Don't you think we need revival? I mean, I, I know there's no... There, there's, well, I guess there is a wrong answer to that, amen, but that's not a loaded question. I mean, honest opinion before heaven... Do you believe that we have everything we need spiritually? Or do you believe we need a fresh touch from heaven and the power of God? I'll tell you, this preacher feels like he needs it, whether you feel like you need it or not. I believe we have a need for revival. And it may take more than just 11.30 to 6 a.m. on June 7th to see it. We need to learn to be persistent. You say, preacher, are you saying we're going to meet every day for prayer? It wouldn't be wasted time, but no, we're probably not going to do that. But don't treat it as just an event, but treat it as a beginning. Don't just start then, start now. But treat this whole endeavor as a beginning, saying, Lord, by Your grace and help, I'm going to continue to pray for revival for my preacher, for revival for my church, for revival for my life, for revival for my home, for revival for my family. Don't quit after one time. 
It's persistent until he gets it done. Old Charles Spurgeon said the snail made it to the ark through persistence. I like that, don't you? You've never thought about that before, have you, Ralph? That snail made it to the ark somehow. Persistence. That's how he did it. It may take some work. Let me give you not only the uh, prayer meeting was going on, but I want to say that we see the prayer meeting. But I want to say that we see their purpose manifest. This is something, I don't really have enough time to deal with this like I'd like to, but let me just give you just a taste of it. Whenever Rhoda goes and begins to tell those that are assembled there, says, Peter's out at the door, Peter's out at the door. You know what they do? They say, no, he ain't. No, he's not. And Rhoda says, no, I'm telling you, Peter's out there. Peter's out there. And they're hearing the knocking at the door. And you know what they said? They said, it's his angel. Some people believe anything except an answered prayer. But you know what that tells me? That tells me what their motivation was in prayer. Listen carefully to this. What motivates you to pray? Is it the immensity of your problems? Or is it the immensity of God's power? I'll tell you what brought them to their knees in prayer. It was not God's ability to answer. But it was the magnitude of the problem that faced them. I'll tell you why we have inconsistent prayer lives. Because the only thing that drives us to the throne room is big problems in our life. If you're praying because you believe God is able to answer, you'll pray over every detail. You'll pray over the minute. You'll pray over the daily. But if the only thing that brings you to pray is when you feel a crushing weight and a blow of magnitude upon your life, then the only time you'll pray is when your ship's about to sink and when the darkness is about to set in. I'll tell you why they were praying. They were praying because their problem was so big. And when God solved their problem, when God answered their prayer, they just couldn't believe God had answered it. They just couldn't believe that God had answered it. Let me tell you, it'd make us better prayers in our life if we'd recognize that God's interested in the minutest details of our life and He's able to answer and He's able to intervene and He's able to do according to His good pleasure and His will. I want you to notice that we see that their purpose was manifest. We see that the prayer meeting was taking place. But I want you to notice a final thing. We see that their praise was misplaced. Peter continues knocking. And so finally they come to the door and they open it up and they go, Peter, <laughs> what are you doing here? That's kind of what we do to God. You know, God answers a, a prayer in our life and we go, whoa, can't believe that happened. We've been praying for it. Do we think God's deaf? Do we think he doesn't care? But the Bible tells us that they were astonished. They began speaking to him. But I want you to notice not only what their action says, but notice what Peter's action says about their action. But Peter beckoned with the hand and began to tell them how the Lord had delivered him. You know what I think we so often do? And I'm just going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of what they did, all right? So this is my this is my dinner theater tonight. We're going to feed you something after the service. So this is the theater part. Just hang in. They, uh, Peter walks in and they go, Oh, Peter, I can't believe you're here. Oh, Peter, how wonderful it is to have you here. Oh, Peter, it's amazing that you've got out of prison. Oh, Peter, this is wonderful. Oh, Peter, what are we going to do? We need to get you out of here. Oh, Peter, it's just so good to see you. I just never thought I'd see you again. You know what everyone forgot to do? Everyone forgot to stop for a minute. And say, so, you know, we ought to thank the God of heaven that he brought us Peter again. Their praise was misplaced. 
You know, sometimes what we listen to me, there's not a single prayer that God answers for you that his glory is not the express purpose and end of it. It's for your good, neighbor. I recognize that. But more importantly than your good, it's for his glory. God answers prayers in your life, not just so you can be comfortable. Hey, maybe God gave you a new job. God bless you. You need it. Feel blessed to have one because very few people do. But God didn't just give you that to meet your bills. He gave that to you so you could raise a hand to heaven and say, Glory to God, He's met my need again. God may raise you up from a sick bed. He didn't just do that so you could feel better. I, I know it tickles the heart of God to death when we feel good. I really mean that. I know it does. God relishes His children having joy in their life and being well off. But He didn't do that just for you. But He did that like He had done unto Lazarus. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He raised you up that He might have glory out of your life. Let me tell you one of the greatest things that hinders our prayer life. When we don't give God the praise that He's due. I believe we ought to be deliberate about it. That's why I believe it's important to keep a list of the things you're praying for. Because if you don't, you'll forget what to praise God for when He's met your need. I can't tell you how many times that I've looked on a list that I've had that I've been praying for something. And I've said, you know, God answered that and I didn't even thank Him for it. I didn't even notice it was Him that did that. I didn't even notice that God had intervened, but He had. And our praise gets misplaced. We get so focused on the answer that we forget to give honor and glory to the answerer. I wonder tonight, maybe there's some area of your life that seems insurmountable. Don't go to the throne just because of the magnitude of your problems, but go because of the manifestation of His power that He's had in your life. Go because God's able Meet God in the throne room because He's able and you have access. And tonight, I want you to take that problem to the Lord. Don't come down here. Don't, don't, you know what we do? We sit there and we, we weep and moan and groan over and then we get to a, an altar and we don't even talk to God about our need. No, don't do that. When you come to this altar in a few moments, I want you to come and I want you to pray about what that need is on your heart. Talk to God specifically about it. You don't have to spend 30 minutes thanking Him for everything you've thanked Him a thousand times for. Get to business talking to the Lord. Get down to it. Pray and ask God to meet that need in your life. And don't forget it when He has either. Amen.